everyone welcome to hardcore football an intense look at the world's game from two passionate americans i'm your host phil Baki, and i'm joined uh, as always by my co-host mika burrell mika uh how are we doing tonight doing well doing well it's uh probably probably our last episode of the year hard to believe but man 2022 is pretty much done and dusted so yeah yeah we're we're right up against the end of the year um and we'll uh i don't want to waste any time introducing our our guests for the evening we have uh we are joined uh tonight by a very special guest he's a writer for 101 great goals and he's a podcaster for the avenel roadcast the official podcast of you are my arsenal uh we're joined tonight by drew thompson drew thanks for coming on the show good evening both of you how are you guys doing doing well just uh it's yeah i i guess we before we get into things i'll do a little housekeeping and uh <laughs> and and get out to everything but uh but drew i mean as we approach the the end of 2022 um lots of of fun football to to look back on but do you have anything that jumps out just um, and i'm kind of catching you out outside of the outline but Anything from 2022 that you're particularly grateful for uh, in, in football this year? I was going to say in football or life, because there's, there's a few answers I can go with. But, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> for football, probably just, um, I would probably say the way Arsenal's playing right now. Uh, I'm very uh, a huge Arsenal fan, so and I try to not be biased at work. It's very <laughs> difficult given the season, but I would say I'm just thankful for um myself and others keeping faith in the process that seems to be working out so i'm sure we'll come on to that a little bit later obviously but yeah that's that's definitely uh, uh the dude upstairs has done well this year so <laughs> yeah the footballing gods are smiling on us gooners this season i mean top at christmas is way more than i think anyone expected so 100 percent and it's only uh, it's only bad to be top at Christmas if you're a Liverpool fan, which uh, so anyway, <laughs> which Phil certainly is. Oh, dear. Um, so uh, before we get on to the the meat and potatoes, we got a lot to cover. Um, obviously, some some sad breaking news, um, but we'll get on to the January transfer window as well and talk a lot of a lot of personnel, a lot of a lot of transfers going on, but. Uh, first things first, uh, we are Hardcore Football. If you're finding us for the first time, you can find us on any major podcast platform. Um, and you can find us on t- Twitter and Instagram at HXC Football. Um, so check us out, like, subscribe, all those all those good things. Um, and, and tell your friends uh, if you enjoyed the episode um, to give it a listen. But um, Mika, I mean, I guess we, we get on to the first bit of breaking news and, and it was tragic news for for the footballing world um as it was announced that pele um you know widely regarded as one of the greatest of all time and and really the sport's first global icon um has died at the age of 82 um it was a long battle with with cancer um and it was long in coming but um but pele leaves behind probably one of the greatest sporting legacies in history um i guess it's hard to pay a tribute to someone who's left such a legacy for themselves but um it in pele's uh passing what what did you uh i guess your reaction and then um what you think you know he's left behind yeah i I mean pele is i mean what is there to say that a lot of hasn't already been said right about his amazing career i mean 
the only player in history to win three World Cups. Of course, he's top goal scorer, I think, with 77 goals or something insane like that. And we know his goal-scoring exploits are, you know, record-breaking. Um, and, yeah, the outpouring of, of support for his family and all that has just been really, really touching, but also kind of hard to read. Um, and, and especially from, you know, some of the Brazil players um, who obviously, you know, they grow up in um, – you know, following that legacy and learning about it. And like you said, he's one of the first like global icons of the sport. And so, yeah, that'll, that will certainly be felt for a very long time. This, this really sad news. Um, I think the thing, I mean, obviously Pelé, he played well before any of us tonight, you know, we're able to see it, you know, whether in the flesh or live. Um, but one thing that I will remember him for is just like how supportive he was of young talent not only young Brazilian talent, but like even when Kylian Mbappe broke his goal scoring record as a teenager at the World Cup, he was like publicly very affectionate towards him about that. Congratulate. I mean, Neymar, Vinicius Jr., like players like this have, you know, come out and said like, you know, I think Vinicius Jr. had a statement like he used to text me every time I would, you know, I would have some kind of, um, you know, success in his career. And I just thought that that was really a cool thing about Pelé because I think, you know, with a legacy like his and with the talent that he was, sometimes it can feel like it's a shadow looming large, but he was more of a light, uh, I think, for those players. Um, and and I think you can't say that a, a sporting icon. Um, you know, some, maybe even like his, you know, uh, contemporary, Diego Maradona. I mean, I think sometimes that is more like a shadow over like Messi and, and players like that, whereas I think Pelé, like, um, and maybe that has something to do with, you know, him playing um, so long ago at this point, but um, I just always loved that about about him. How supportive he seemed of all the the global superstars that we we watch uh, nowadays. So yeah, rest in peace, obviously to Pele and and our support to his family. Drew, I'm curious, uh, you know, if if Pele had any any personal impact on on you, or or maybe you know it may be broader than that uh if not you know his impact on the sport and your your perspective there i think his impact uh, there's not much i can say again like like mika said we it's hard to you know top if you know ronaldo's message on instagram that he put i think aptly summed up what he meant not just to someone like ronaldo who for a time was in pele shadow or you know what it meant to be brazilian what it means to be a football fan no matter from where you're from pele truly was you know that first uh supporting figure that transcended you know like kind of like time and space almost in a way and on like a smaller scale how a lot of you know americans and others how they kind of um how they struggled when kobe bryant uh tragically passed away but this is magnified by you know five thousand. this is a whole a truly global a true global thing for me I've, i mean i'm i'm older than i look <laughs> but i never got to see pele live but for me one of the stories i always have about him is uh, coming as a player, I used to do uh, summer residency camps for for a month, um, and one of the traditions was we would watch Victory every 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 summer. And obviously, he's in that movie. It's a classic if you've never seen it. But so it was it was fun. That's the only time I ever got to actually maybe really see him play per se, other than going back on clips because I'm I'm not that old. <laughs> and and you can see it like all the actors like Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine. You, you had Bobby Moore and Max von Sydow. You have a lot of famous actors, famous footballers in that movie. And you can all kind of just see them talk about the presence that he had when filming it and the relationship they had with him after that movie came out. 
about just kind of how much of a guiding light he was, not just as a footballer, but a person. And for me, when you can reach that pinnacle of any sport and still be humble enough to want others to be just as successful as you are, if not even more successful, that's very, very rare because a lot of superstars kind of feel like when they get to a certain level, you're like, you know, you can't beat me. And if you do, like, I'm not going to give you your just desserts. And you know, the fact that, as Mika said, man, he congratulated Mbappe, you know, for breaking his World Cup record and the way he kind of always supported Messi, Ronaldo, whoever it might be. It shows you that he understood more than maybe anybody else, whether it's from his um, his humble beginnings or not, that the game is supposed to be global in terms of supposed to bring everybody together. And that's kind of football. That's at football's core, no matter what. And so for me, my takeaway from his legacy is that it's it's not the, the ridiculous amount of goals he scored. It's not the fact that he was the first to do things we see on a football pitch every week that are commonplace now. When he did it, it wasn't common. It was mind-blowing. You know, Mexico shut down for 1970 to watch him play. And you see when someone had that magnitudinal kind of influence that transcends to today, 50-odd years later, you can't really say much more. You know, so um, it's an immense passing um, but if anything, I think you'd probably want everybody to just sort of build on that legacy of, of, of togetherness through through a sport that is is simple but so complex. And I think he was a master of simplicity in complexity. So yeah, that's what that's what I would say. Well said. I uh, yeah, I I I just echo both of you in terms of uh, I mean, just someone who for many people when they learned about the sport. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted, like, he was the sport of football. Like, he was the representation of the sport for such a long time. And um, and obviously, there are many who who are trying to live up to that. But, yeah, I, I think to, to both of your points, to be such a positive and not be sort of, you know, we see sometimes, like, the the – ex-players who become like jaded and embittered about the yeah. the current generation and so the fact that you know we've got the greatest you know of his time for you know at very at the very least um and a, a true pioneer of the game um also accepting people who are coming through and doing it now and um and and embracing the current generation that's um yeah, it's it's a huge, huge void um in in the footballing world and um and certainly will be uh he'll be he'll be greatly missed. There'll, I'm sure there'll be amazing tributes that we'll see come out over the next few days in terms of um clubs paying tribute to to Pele's influence um uh, you know, globally and um and I'm excited to see just how much of that positivity you know comes out of what is obviously a truly truly sad passing um but uh the only thing i want to add no go for it is that i mean we you know we have three americans on this pod and three you know three people in the united states and pele like single-handedly made the sport cool in america <laughs> i mean when he came over and signed for the new york cosmos i mean he was a trailblazer in that way too i mean after him it was you know cruyff Eusebio, George Best, I'm sure I'm, you know, Bobby Moore, sure. um, you know, he was, he just made it cool. I mean, um, I 
I read about how in his first public appearance, uh, he was injured by the crowd. Like that's how many people were there. (laughs) And he kind of got like knocked up a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, really helped, um, you know, significantly increase public awareness of football. And so in our kind of footballing story as a nation, like he has a huge, huge part in that. Um, So that's all I wanted to add. It's just, you know, Cosmo's legend. So (laughs) yeah. Well, despite the fact that it's not January yet, uh, we're already seemingly in the thick of the January transfer window. Um, And uh, I mean, tons of business going on. I know we got a handful of questions uh, from listeners about about activity in the transfer window. But Mika, I don't know where where do you want to start? Where do you want to (laughs) start? Mr. Liverpool fan. Uh, yeah. So we got a question from uh, <laughs> from a fellow Liverpool fan of mine, uh, Eric Bauer at ebow twenty seven on Twitter. He said, "How does how does Gakpo's transfer affect the front line of Liverpool? I assume that the transfer potentially affects Darwin Nunez the most." I uh, I was thinking about this a lot because obviously. You know, Liverpool, it was announced uh, yesterday officially that, that Cody Gakpo is joining January 1st. Um, the fee's around £37 million, I think, uh, which feels like a steal in 2022 um, for, for a 23-year-old uh, attacker who just had a very solid showing at a World Cup as well. Um, but in terms of how does this affect Liverpool's front line, I think this is a really interesting transfer in the sense that it feels like it's filling an immediate need and it's looking like, and it's forward thinking um, where the injuries to Luis Diaz and Diogo Jota in particular do leave a hole in Liverpool's left-sided attacking, like the left side of their, of their attacking line. Um, where, I mean, even in this game we saw uh, against, uh, <laughs> I've already forgotten who we played on. Aston Villa? Yeah, 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 Villa. Villa. Aston Villa, right? Yeah. yeah I, there yeah, should the, be more. The weekends, the fixtures were not good, so it's, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you for forgetting. <laughs> your own club. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so in that game, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain started on the left, and, and I love ox as much as the next guy but he hasn't um he hasn't featured you know frequently in in the attacking front line um and particularly recently he hasn't featured so i uh you know him playing on the left showed that hey they are like pretty bare bones on that on that left side nunez can play out there but without with firmino not healthy you know they're gonna start nunez through the center primarily um so I think this actually impacts Luis Diaz and Diogo Jota more than it impacts Darwin Nunez. Um, I'll say that Jota has been his most potent, like starting on the left um, rather than through the middle. Diaz has been, uh, you know, great on the left, um, but Gakpo plays primarily in that area of the field, even if he is ostensibly playing as a nine or a 10 sometimes I think he kind of naturally drifts into those wide left areas and a lot of his goals for PSV come in you know coming onto his right 
from that left-hand channel and and shooting uh, after cutting in. So I think it actually is going to turn into a little bit of competition in the short term with Luis Diaz when he when he comes back from injury. Um, but I think longer term, it's probably more about a shift um, in Liverpool's thought and playing with a true number nine. Maybe Gakpo long term is thought of as a as a ten um, behind him, and and maybe a bit of a shift of of system from Klopp, but. Um, overall, as far as the transfer is concerned, I'm, I'm glad it's a little bit of a zero sum game thing of it. It feels like Liverpool have really got one over on Manchester United with, uh, (laughs) with this transfer. But on on top of that, you're getting a a 23 year old who's got what it, you know, 21 goal contributions, uh, so far in the Eredivisie, um, this season and, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, but it's interesting because I think unlike other Klopp signings, this uh he'll be pressed into service a, a little bit quicker just because of the the injuries on that front line. Fair enough. I you know, this isn't it's kind of an odd one for me because I I've always looked at this latest Liverpool side and felt like you need a midfielder. Um Same. and <laughs> and you're kind of throwing an attacker at the problem, which like Hey, like Liverpool's of old, you know, Liverpool sides of old have tried to just outscore everyone 5-4 and that, that you know, I don't know if you guys want to go back to those days necessarily, but um it just I don't know, it seems to me like there needed to be like an investment like deeper in the park, but I mean, like you said, 37 million pounds, like obviously the fee is much higher when you think of like wages and and sure. other fees and all that stuff, but um as far as like pure transfer fee like that that's pretty good business i must say especially like you said coming off a world cup where it's he had three goals um in five they made it all to finals and were taken out by the eventual champion so um yeah i think it's a good sign um he's he's different from all of liverpool's options in the attack though because like you said he comes you know on that right foot from the left but he's he's six two he's a big boy but too, like so far I've not seen him like use that frame necessarily so I think it'll be interesting to see what what transpires with that if if he does become like more of a central player um but I think Darwin Nunez you know to answer Eric's question I think he's safe for now I think when you you spend that outlay on a player like he's probably going to lead the line for the foreseeable future um but yeah overall good business for Liverpool I'd say Drew I mean obviously with with Gakpo primarily playing in the Eredivisie and you know maybe not having as much exposure to Premier League audiences uh you know most of the viewing was done at the World Cup did you uh did you get a sense of 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 Cody Gakpo and and do you think that this is just like World Cup reactionary signing or or do you think the the Dutch league is a fair um, kind of like analog for predicting success in the Premier League. It's tricky because I think most most Premier League fans will cite that wonderful Memphis Depay move from PSV to Man United and how that was a spectacular flop. Um, and I'm always of the opinion that a player can be as talented as they want. It's about the timing of the move. Does it suit the player on the tactical level, the club he's going he's going to, all these things come to play. So 
and obviously Memphis Pie has gone on and he's on course to become the Netherlands all-time record goal scorer. You know, I feel he's he's done quite well. He did well at Lyon. He's, you know, he's had some moments at Barcelona. He might get a decent uh, loan move this January. So, but then you have other examples of players coming from the Dutch league to Premier League and absolutely smashing it. Dennis Bergkamp comes to, immediately comes to mind. Mark Overmars, uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy. So there are other options that have happened in the past for attacking players that have come in and absolutely changed the game in England directly. So it's on a case-by-case basis. I just kind of feel like with Gakbo, this is the same thing. If he was to go to, say, Manchester United, maybe Ten Hag could have gotten even a bit more out of him because he would have seen him a bit more. But it also comes down to how is he going to be utilized as well. I think with Liverpool, I think playing him off the left makes sense in terms of he's not going to be there to be asked to be creative, really. it's I think they're going to really try and tap into... Um, his ability to kind of tuck in, essentially allow for that Robertson overlap. You know, he'll be able to link play with Thiago on that side well. Um, he can play off Nunez. <clears throat> he can't pick a pass. He's lethal in, in the final third if he gets a, a Naya goal. You saw that at the World Cup as well. Um, so I think it makes sense, especially for the fee, <laughs> given some other fees we're going to mention later on in this podcast. Yeah, that there's a million is a steal in today's market. And I, I don't think you can really look at the league as much. I think that kind of falls out the window when you see when he does perform well in Europe. He did perform well at the World Cup, you know. And I do think at some point you have to look at the numbers in, in the Netherlands and then say it's not just a, a decent player. And certainly Liverpool have a, a a fairly good track record at player recruitment, especially in the last you know five six years in terms of the attacking talent they bring in. So I feel like if Klopp signed off on it, if the hierarchy signed off on it, I think they have complete faith in them. So especially at, at that fee, it's it's low risk because if it doesn't work out, you can still kind of shift them on without kind of having that, from an Arsenal standpoint, that, that Nicola Pepe dilemma where you, you spend an absolute mountain of money and now you can't shift the player because who's going to want to take on the wages that came with it? With Gakpo, it's more, I think you have more security. So I think it's a great move. Uh, he's a player I would have wanted Arsenal to, to get depending on a few factors uh, in the summer particularly, but now you know we have our own targets as well. Martinelli's come on in a way that a lot of us maybe didn't expect at that soon, so it's a bit different. But I quite like him as a player. I don't think his future is going to be as a number nine. I think he's going to only. Well, it depends if you guys shift tactically and go with like a two-man front line. He could play off another striker. I think him and Nunez could combine well, but he's never going to be a, a lone center forward. I personally don't think. I think his future is going to be still in that kind of inside forward role out on the left. I think that's where he's best at. You know, there's, there's a lot of facets to his game there that he's almost kind of he can almost kind of hold up play on that left hand side as well a little bit. He can drop deep and that allow that combination play that when Liverpool are flying they really kind of have that up as part of their game. That's something that maybe you've been missing with 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 Ox. And again, as an Arsenal fan, you know, yeah, I have a, 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 maybe a soft spot for Ox, but he's not really the level for you guys anymore. I think Gakpo for an immediate need, I think he kind of moves your needle and then moving forward given the forward options you have across that line. And maybe, maybe you, you know, Luis Diaz is, is pretty ambidextrous uh, with his both left and right foot. Maybe you can shift Diaz out on that right-hand side. You never really know what's going to happen, depending on what happens with Mosala. So it gives you options. It gives you depth. Um, and Klopp does know how to get, you know, the maximum amount of good attacking players. So if I were you, I, I mean, I'd love that move. So yeah, I think you're in good hands. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly happy about it. I think we'll also get on to something that Mika touched on in terms of uh, midfield signings for Liverpool, which I think are also <laughs> probably needed. But uh, we'll probably talk about some of the reasons why some of the names maybe are are not linked uh, 
to Anfield <laughs> anymore. Um, but in terms of attacking talent and, and Drew, I, I can let you kick this one off, but we had news about Mateus Cunha, um, yeah. who obviously he, you know, Highly, highly rated and and hyped player when he left here to Ber- Berlin, and then again when he left RB Leipzig, and now <laughs> leaving Atletico Madrid, he's uh, headed to Wolves um, on loan with an obligation to buy for forty three million pounds in the summer, um, which will make it a club record transfer. Julian Lopetegui's uh, first signing for Wolves, and um, feels like he's going out on a limb a little bit. Like grabbing a guy who has a lot of potential, but just has never really lived up to it in terms of the goals scored versus, um, I guess, what you'd expect. So he, it's an intriguing one. He, I mean, Cunha, for those who I mean, don't know, he he did well in Switzerland with FC Zion. Uh, and, and that's where that sort of that hype kind of started to come up. Herbie Leipzig are very good with talent ID. He goes there. He he was up for the Pushkas Award. So obviously he's got some ability, you know, and, and that's probably understanding it a little bit. But it's just one he's one of those players that sometimes he also kind of almost reminds me of the pie, and we just mentioned it, where it's just not working out for him in terms of maybe stuff off the pitch. And a lot of players sometimes when when they hit a certain level, they stop realizing that you have to do the required work to continue to progress. You know, he could be a very, very good player. I think I think that the package is there in terms of his overall ability, but it's just not come off. Um that was not no, notwithstanding, I mean, Hertha was an absolute dumpster fire when he was there. So I don't necessarily put that on him per se. A lot of other gifted players there struggled very much, you know. I don't like him, but uh, Matteo Ganduzzi, you know, had had issues there. But then he goes to Marseille, and now look at him. So, sure. I I put that more down to the club than than Cunha. But you know, when, when you go to Atletico Madrid under someone like Simeone, who doesn't play free flowing attacking football, again, is that down to him? You know, you remember Thomas Lamar, where everyone was like, "Oh my God, Thomas Lamar, this," and then look at him. It's just what happened to him. Same kind of thing. So it's all about fit and. Yeah, Atleti are a gigantic club in, for me in terms of th- their pedigree in Europe and in La Liga, obviously. But they're not a club where you're going to really excel from an attacking standpoint. You know, Joao Felix is another one who might be leaving in January. Uh, Antoine Graysman had had a good period for a while, but even now sort of simply has kind of regressed in terms of output, even though he still plays well. The output's not really there because they're just not running away that just gets the maximum of attacking players. So... Lopetegui would know him, obviously, because he was at Sevilla, uh, so we would have seen him. I do think that if, so if Lopetegui brings in a, a brand of football at Wolves that's needed, where they need goals, for God's sakes, they need goals. Like they've what they have nine goals all season, I think it is, which is absolutely horrendous. So you look, and but they've also signed about five other forwards in the summer. So I don't know where he's going to play, how he's going to play, but I do think the his style will probably suit Premier League a bit more, where. Um, he'll be able to get on the ball more. I think Lopetegui will want to be a bit more expansive in his play, which is kind of where he shines. Him, uh, it's going to be about consistency, though. I think Cunha on his day can influence matches, but a lot of times, and we you see it in Bundesliga when he was there at Hertha and at RBL, where he, he would just completely fall off the table if things weren't going his way, if, if he was getting marked off the match. Or if he just wasn't hitting the target or, or whatever it could have been, if you know, he it would just he would just kind of deflate. And I think that's, so for me, I think it's more of a mental thing with him. I don't think it's about a lack of ability. I think he hit something like 
21 goals and 24 appearances for Brazil under 23s. So it's not like he can't score goals. It's not like he's not a decent player. And for a while, he was getting into the Brazilian national team under Chiche. So I think he is recognized as a decent player at, at the very least. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily thought he should go to Wolves, but under Lopetegui, it could be a different story. Um, alone is probably the best bet, although I think alone with an obligation. And certainly, I don't know where the 43 million figure comes because he's definitely not earned that, right? Considering Gakpo is cheaper. That goes back to how players are valued, which is completely, I don't understand anymore. Um, it could be a potential coup. I just don't know if I agree with the fee. But in terms of ability, I think he could be potentially a sneakily good signing if Lopetegui is able to get you know, the goods out of him on a consistent basis. And I mean, Mika Wolves starting the, the post world cup break bottom of the premier league, uh, you know, and by a, a little bit of a, a distance, unfortunately they, uh, they don't seem like they're going to end up there necessarily. And the signs were good in Lopetegui's first First game in charge uh, against against Everton, although it did take a dramatic a dramatic winner. It does Cunha move the needle enough to to get Wolves out of trouble? Yeah, so this this is a really interesting one because, I mean, you know, Drew said it. Wolves desperately need a goal scorer. Nine goals is just absolutely not good enough. You know, despite that, for some reason, it, I have it in my head that Wolves are going to be fine. Obviously, that remains to be seen, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's his tactical profile is so interesting to me. And, and the player himself says that his position is flexible. And, um, I kind of get like Joel Linton to Newcastle vibes from this signing where it's like Brazilian player that was in the Bundesliga, a forward, but not necessarily a goal scorer. And this club may not know exactly what they're getting. Um, I think Joel Anton has, they found a role for him, obviously. It turns out he's a great central midfielder, um, not a goal scorer. Uh, with Mateus Cunha, I think there's like a risk of that where right now he's kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none, like um, good dribbler, decent passer, like didn't like stats wise, didn't pass the ball a whole lot at Hertha Berlin, um, but um, he wasn't an out and out striker either. Um Time is on his side, though. He's still only 23 years old, and I think Julian Lopetegui, like a, a world-class coach like that, I think can um, be um, really impactful to a player like this who really hasn't um, like cemented himself at any one club. Um, and Drew's right too that that fit was a problem at Atleti, as it's been for many players, as it's been for Thomas Lamar, like Rodrigo De Paul, who just won the freaking World Cup, right? <laughs> um, we're not seeing him do anything as exciting as he used to do at Udinese. So, um, yeah, I'm just worried that he's not going to be the maybe Wolves thinking he could be. Uh, and he's also, I think, he's a Georges Mendes client. So, like again, Wolves are kind of like all like Mendes and and his his uh roster of players and i think that that can be problematic um but uh we'll we'll just have to see how it goes i i do like that um he's got flair and he will bring in unpredictability to wolves that i don't think they currently have um with with any of their other players right now so so that's good um but i hope he does well i do like this player but i think it is a risk and the the obligation i think i didn't know that 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 was an obligation i think that is what makes it more of a risk than not for me so yeah the um it is it is interesting with with these these sorts of moves i mean 
the time dilation on footballers, like it's insane. Cause the fact that Gakpo and Cunha are the same age, I would have, I, I would not have thought that like, cause Cunha f- feels like he's been a known quantity for such a long time. And yet, you know, Gakpo's emerged more recently, you know, more recently. And, uh, and yet, yeah, both 23 years old. So, <laughs> um, the, the I, I, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I, I thought maybe, and I'm interested if you guys feel the same. I was really intrigued by Lopetegui's approach to this, to the Everton game, because it felt like he was doing some message sending to a few of the guys who were kind of just used to getting in the team, like Gedesh and uh, a few others um, at Wolves. And it seemed like it had some impact, if not in, you know, it, they didn't blow Everton away or anything like that, but it did feel different than the Wolves of the, you know, pre-World Cup Premier League in that, it felt like they were the more likely to win. Um, and it was kind of just a matter of time. And luckily they snuck it in right as the, basically right as the final whistle was ready to blow. But is that, I don't know. Is that a fair assessment? Like is Lopetegui's, is it, is that an impact or is that just, is that just like a freak? I mean, it's a small sample size, obviously it's one game, but was it, <laughs> The smallest of sample sizes. Right, like the smallest. <laughs> but but I, I guess the point I'm making is like it felt like he wanted reactions from players and he did mm-hmm. get them in that match. I mean, I'll just quickly say, and I'll, I'll kind of bend back to um, the point I made before about how Wolves aren't exactly lacking in forward depth. Uh, is going to be their 11th forward in, in, the, in the senior squad. 11. <laughs> you don't need 11 forwards. That's absolute nonsense. So... The thing about Filipetegi is it's in his corner to be able to say, listen, if you don't perform, I have literally two other people right behind you in the same position that can possibly replace you. So there's going to be competition. That's going to serve in his favor. And whoever's going to suit the bill for him in terms of tactically, uh, or uh, if they're just if they're not being consistent, he's not going to have to necessarily worry about it because there will be somebody else that can just come straight in, maybe into the breach and maybe fill that role even on a temporary basis. So I think it could just be simply that, you know, maybe trying out a few players for now early on to see if they, if he wants to kind of land them moving forward, you know, Huang uh, was an interesting signing for them, but similarly across basically almost every forward they have, it's, it's a lack of consistency. Right. So, and that's kind of why I didn't really understand why they're going after Kuna who habitually lacks consistency. So it's going to be a matter of if he can find those maybe three or four that can really kind of nail down spots. And then you can have just a lot of other role players, depending if, I mean, injuries are going to pop up, obviously. They haven't really played Sasha Kalajic yet. They brought him from Stuttgart, and he did quite well for them in Bundesliga, but he's been injured. Chichinho is now injured. You know, Diego Costa is now back. So there's a lot of, uh, he can maybe pick and choose based off opponent, you know, form, injuries. So if anything, I think he's not really worried about if someone doesn't respond. But I do take your point to say, listen, like if, if someone doesn't produce... He's not going to have an issue. So I think, if anything, that's probably uh, something in his favor. But I kind of want to know where Mika stands on that, too. I mean, what we know of Lopetegui is that he's very demanding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize that that's 11-4. Kosta, Kalajic, Gedish, Chan, now, Jesus, that is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no one can score a goal. I don't. Uh, Wolves are a conundrum to me. But, 
Um, Lopetegui is super demanding. I, I mean, he he's super demanding, but he also is like respected by the dressing room. And I think Sevilla, it I, I don't know that it like fell apart with the players more with like Monchi maybe, um, but uh, I think here at Wolves it's a fresh start for him and. Yeah, it did seem like he dropped a whole bunch of people who are just used to, to starting. And like you said, Phil, small sample size, but um, can't argue with the result. And maybe there's a little bit of new manager bounce there as well. Um, and I, I mean, clearly, Lopetegui, he's managed big clubs. He's managed Spain briefly. Um, for him to come to Wolves, I think he sees that there's potential here, that they're not going to get relegated, and that if he can get his hooks into them, they'll be okay. So I'm, I'm just interested to see how this goes because, I mean, it can either be, I think it'll be either disaster. Like I don't see it just kind of middling, like, um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah. We'll see if Cunha can, can help get wolves out of trouble along with, with Lopetegui. Uh, and uh, yeah, the army of wolves forwards, uh, if, if a few of them can get together and score some goals, um, That'll be pretty pretty cool for them. But uh, another forward that's been talked about and linked linked with a Premier League club, and I'll leave this I'll leave this as a little bit of a jump ball um, between the two Arsenal supporters <laughs> on, on on the bench. No. Mikhailo Mudrik uh, of Shakhtar Donetsk uh, is been linked with Arsenal, and Arsenal actually have had a uh, offer worth up to. 65 million euros rejected by the Ukrainian club. And uh, so they had offered an initial 40 million plus 25 million in add-ons. Um, that was not seen as enough. And it it does seem like Shakhtar targeting a, a fee closer to 80, 90 million euro um for Mudrik's services Mudrik obviously burst on the scene in the Champions League this year um but for the Arsenal supporters obviously big big money being being talked about for a winger you know in a team where obviously you know Gabriel Jesus's injury is is kind of looming large but um but yeah a a forward being linked with the club for big cash from a uh again maybe outside of the the top five leagues all those sorts of different factors brought in but what do you guys make of of Mudrik potentially coming to Arsenal and the and the fees uh being being talked about as well I'm gonna let Mika go first no no no. the guest the guest has on damn it (laughs) all right (laughs) so you know I'm sure you guys have seen 10 things I hate about you Oh, and, one of my and you know you know that you know that scene when they're just like, would anyone be interested in, in dating Katarina Stratford? And the first guy's like he just laughs at uncontrollably. And the second guy just looks deadpan with no reaction at all. That's my <laughs> reaction to kind of this move. I just don't understand <laughs> how Shakhtar with a straight face can sit down and say they want an Arsenal club record fee for a player who, twelve months ago, was not really that much of a hot commodity. And mm-hmm. that's not to disrespect him because, you know, thankfully for. Um, for work, I have the ability to look into some deep data through some fantastic databases. And yeah, his, his data looks great, but this goes back to where you do have to kind of take leads to consideration. There's, a, there's something I've always said where it's easy for players to really perform in Champions League and, and really let their quality come to the fore when 
every every weekend when they're playing in the domestic league, they only have to really go at 60 or 65% to, to have an impact, right? And that's some disrespect to the Ukrainian league, but Shakhtar absolutely dominated that league without an actual problem. And Dino Kiev are really the only team that can stand up to them twice a year. So I do think that kind of plays into it. And a lot of people have that same similar argument for players that do like come from the Eredivisie or the Jupiter Pro League or, or that, that kind of second tier league where it's not that much of a challenge on the domestic front. And then, yeah, they'll look good in Champions League, but are they really being tested? How how much are their bodies being put through the ringer kind of thing uh, week in, week out at club level? So I think as a player profile, first thing, I don't I don't really necessarily even like that much. He's, a, he's strictly a left winger. I think it goes kind of against the profile that Arteta and Edu have been looking at, which is players that are versatile. They can play across anywhere across the front three, potentially even in the number 10 hole in the stretch. He doesn't suit that. Um, he has an absolute mountain of pace. I think that's great. His physical attributes are the ones that you can't teach, which is important. So there's no development needed there, of course. Technically, he's he, he's pretty solid. I don't think he's that great in terms of goal scoring. A lot of the goals you see him score kind of have a flukish nature about them, though it does get into those good positions. He knows how to attack space, which is important, but a lot of the goals he scores are him running into space. A lot of counterattacking style goals, a lot of where he can turn on the afterburners and just kind of let fly kind of thing. And that's not how Arsenal really play anymore. At times we do. Uh, like if we play against City, for example, we might be more uh, intent on trying to hit them on the break instead of dominating the ball like we would against, you know, uh, someone like a Wolves, for example. <clears throat> so I don't know if, uh, if the profile really fits, but at the same time, Arteta and Edu have, they, they have kind of that trust in the fan base now. They, they've proven to be, very good in terms of talent ID. Um, I really don't think that there's the only deal you could really maybe say is, is questionable at this point. Well, maybe two, uh, Sambi Lukonga, or I just don't think he's settled. And I think that's more of the fact that he just isn't playing. And when you go from end elect, when you're playing week in, week out in the Belgian league, and then he's also playing in Champions League and Europa League to going to barely playing at Arsenal. Sometimes that does something to a player where their confidence drops. When your confidence drops, when you do get minutes, it's hard for you to find form and consistency and then it kind of snowballs. So I think there's that question in mind. And then also Fabio Vieira, who I think his his ability is undeniable, but again, he hasn't maybe had that influence and settled as quickly as maybe we thought, given the profile we looked at when we first signed him and, and how well he came on at Porto. But apart from those two, which aren't really dead rubber deals, it's more of just like there's still questions in the air, but the talent is there. Mudrik, I think it's a bigger risk because you're asking a lot for a player who really only has an eight-month sample size of performing, and you're then really only looking at his Champions League goals. In the summer, he was on the market for $30 million when Everton were interested in, in, in a few other clubs. Now they want 80 It's over-doubled his... Like, that's... Come on. Like, that's absolutely crazy to me. So I do think um, Shakhtar's financial situation, unfortunately, given the war in Ukraine, has a lot to do with this. I think they're trying to extract the maximum fee because... They're, they're just struggling in, in that. And they also have a few other good academy products coming through where I think this is kind of them saying, we're not going to be banded around and kind of kind of pushed around for our, our best talent. If you want our best talent, you're going to have to pay the price. And certainly when Premier League clubs are interested, clubs know that they can tack on that extra tax because Premier League clubs can't afford it. I think if you're looking at a German club that came in, for example, that wanted Mudrik, they wouldn't be demanding 80 million. I think it'd be a fee lower because they know they can't afford it. So knowing the market and knowing your buyer has something to do with it as well. That said, I don't think Arsenal should be forced to do it, and I don't think we will. I think we have a ceiling where we set ourselves and saying nothing more than 70 million. That's the wide reported through multiple sources, you know, Ornstein, Ben Jacobs, the like. They've all said Arsenal won't go above a certain figure. And I think it's more about 
more upfront and less add-on. So if we come with like a 55-15 or like a 60-15, then Shakhtar would probably accept. And I think I could maybe convince myself to get behind that. But for, for 60 million up front, I want a player that can come in and immediately be a needle pusher. And I don't think Mudrik is that player. He's certainly not going to get in above Martinelli or Saka or Jesus. He's not because he's not a center forward. So 60 million for up front for a player who isn't going to hit the ground running and maybe help us edge that bit closer to a Premier League title or a Europa League win. I have a hard time coming to terms with that. But Unfortunately, when you when you have Real Madrid paying weird prices for Endrick, it's kind of what the market almost kind of is now, where teams have to pay through the nose for potential. Even if that potential isn't realized, it's the fact that that ceiling is that high, you have to pay for the privilege to have access to it. So I'll have to come to terms with it and and trust Edu and Arteta. But when it comes to transfers, I will always have a German mentality of don't pay more than what a player is worth. Because, And I, I don't mean to kind of like keep rambling on, but... I absolutely despise them as a club. I hate Bayern Munich with every fiber of my being, but I cannot speak against how well run they are in terms of Bayern will rarely, if ever, spend over 50 million euros for a player, 50 million pounds for a player. It doesn't matter how good they are. They will try to find maximum value for a price point that still makes sense. And they're not even broke. They're the fourth or fifth richest club in football, but they also understand that we're not going to drive our finances into the, into the ground just because we want a certain player. So. I will always kind of have that thought process in terms of transfers. If it turns out we do, we do the deal, we have to hope for the best. But I would probably look elsewhere if, if if I was forced to pay through the nose for him. I probably wouldn't do it and and then look elsewhere. But yeah. No, all good points. Um, before I go on my Mudrik little thing, you're letting Arteta and Edu off for Willian? <laughs> I, I I don't I don't know if that's necessarily them because I feel like that still had that still had connections to that's true. Yeah, the, the others we won't mention on this podcast. Certainly, I won't do the mentioning <laughs> because I've stricken them from the record in my head. No, you're so right. you're right. Same thing with like Pepe. A... That was very much a Raul deal, even though um, you know Eddie was at the club. It was still kind of a Raul thing. Arta wasn't even here yet. So yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> true, true. I just now that it's fully in their control. You have to say they've done exceptionally well. And even in those deals that were deemed as risks, you know, some people yeah. didn't like the fee for Ben White. Some people didn't trust Aaron Ramsdale simply because of the club he came from, irrespective of how good he may have been at that club. You know, mm-hmm. people just like, look how many goals he gave up. Well, that's not how you judge a player, basically. So, and they still kind of kept faith in that system. But this would be the largest, you know, test yet of their talent ID, given the unknown nature of what it's like to buy players from Ukraine. And, and, and Ukraine... Players from Ukraine typically don't go for a lot of money, right? You have Fernandinho and Fred are the only two ones I can think of that left Ukraine for for, for bigger fees. Mm. Everybody else kind of either stays in Ukraine because they, they pay well typically and you get Champions League football year on year on year or they don't come to the Premier League. And if they do, it's never for that kind of money. So right. there's a lot of questions, but it's also one of those things where if you pay 60 million now and he explodes and he generally does become a top tier talent, then you got him for 60 million up front instead of 120 million up front. So I think that's kind of where they're coming with it. Get him in the door now and hope he still progresses through his uh, development track uh, instead of having yeah. to wait until the summer where he's going to be even more expensive and likely and uh, maybe an even bigger fish would come for him. So, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of have two main concerns with it. Well, maybe three. And you, you've hit on all of them. But, I mean, one, the price. I mean, I, I do think that the price is insane for, for the uh, – sample size really i mean and it is impressive you know three goals two assists in six champions league games 
He's flying in the Ukrainian Premier League, which, as we know, Shakhtar dominate that league. Um, but um, that's a big one, uh, Price. Fit as well, like like you said, he's not going to replace Gabriel Martinelli, or at least he shouldn't, because <laughs> Martinelli is one of our, our best, most consistent players. Would Mudrik accept a depth role? I mean, is it almost a, is it maybe an admission that Emil Smith Rowe can't be relied on to be healthy and play in those wide areas? I don't know. Um, so that's that's a concern because the, the fit to me is not obvious. Um, um, the big one, I think, the biggest one really is is the style, and I guess this goes with fit as well. Is the style of play of Shakhtar is not comparable um, to Arsenal at all? Um, like you said, a lot of his highlights, a lot of his goals are him. I mean that that goal against Celtic, incredible. Uses an insane, explosive amount of pace, but I just don't see when he's going to get that space in our system um, necessarily, um, or in the Premier League, really. Um, because yeah, I just think that you know it's it's a different ass to try and counterattack like that in the Premier League, and, and we don't play that way anyway. So that kind of it gives me a little bit of Nicola Pepe vibes because before Pepe joined from from Lille, I mean a lot of his highlights too were getting on the break um, and some of his best moments for Arsenal. Um, and he did have some to be fair, where we're on the break or finding space. Um, but, you know, being part of a possession based side, I, I don't know. I don't know what, if, or how Mudrik would be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it goes back to Arteta and Edu having shown the fan base that by and large, they can be trusted with these decisions. And I guess the bottom line too, is like, if Ar- then there's a reason because Arteta I think he's very exacting in his standards. Um, I mean, the guy shipped out our captain midseason because he was, you know, not uh, performing or acting to a level that he expected. Um, so he, if he's that intense with who he doesn't want, he's the same way with who he does want. And the other thing about Mudrik that I find really interesting, and I can't remember the last time this happened, or maybe I'm just forgetting, but I can't remember the last time a player was so keen himself on coming to our club. Um, and I wonder if that is moving the needle for Arteta is like, you really want to be here. And that's the kind of people that I want in my dressing room, because I mean, the guy posts like of him watching Arsenal games, like it's almost kind of cringe, like how bad he wants it. You know, he's, he's really good friends with, um, cringe is the, is not the right word, but it's just like, kind of, I don't know. It's just funny. Like how, how forward he is about it. Um, and you know, when, when players are so media trained to be like, oh, anything can happen in football. Like he's out here, like, no, I want to go to Arsenal. <laughs> like, um, and you know, he's close with Zinchenko, and apparently with Zinchenko's wife, and like he he's just really really keen. And I wonder if like that in and of itself has value. I don't know. Um, I I mean, I think you have to. I think there are a lot more important things to take into consideration when you're gonna spend this outlay. But I just wonder if that means a lot to to Mikel Arteta. So we'll see. I, I wonder if it's a case to a little bit of this is a player who Arteta and Edu have been watching for a couple of years and like mm-hmm. they identified, you know, it's like you knew the band before they were cool and you saw you saw them at the basement show and you were like man these guys are going to blow up and it's going to be big and then they do blow up but it's earlier than you thought. And you're like, man, should I, like, is it really worth it to go to this arena show for like $300? (laughs) Maybe not, but like, God damn it. I was here first. Like I know, I knew about this first. 
And so I'm going to pay it anyway. <laughs> No, for real. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a fair question. Like, and and certainly enough has come out um, through people like Ornstein, closer to the club, that says that Arsenal very quietly are scouting most places in Europe or even other places around the world for for talent, and it's likely that they've been looking at them for longer than just the season. Certainly, I think if we were going to spend this kind of money, I would hope that we'd be looking at him for longer than just the last eight months. I would be kind of annoyed if that was, if that was the case. So I don't think it is. I do think they've been watching him for a while now. Um, and I also kind of think when we look at the market, I mean, the, and this is where I'll kind of take a hit to my own argument is there's not a lot of other wingers out there currently, maybe that you could say have his, his ceiling, that are currently available that are that are uh, clubs that we can maybe get them from. So I think that maybe has a, a part to play in it. Uh, and I do think they're also looking at the long-term picture. And, you know, you could maybe, you know, there's a lot of questions around, like, you know, Kings of Coman and Lirazane at Bayern, like, do they want to stay there? But listen, they're not going to leave Bayern to come to Arsenal. I don't care what any Arsenal fan says. Like, we're still a, 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 a step down from Bayern. It doesn't matter how good of a season we're having currently. <clears throat> so I do think that's kind of maybe where we're coming from with that and there's something to be said about them having faith in the player for this kind of fee uh, with the small sample size that it does come with if they're still very adamantly saying this is our number one target this is our guy because we could very easily just kind of make a, a big loan move for joe felix if, if that was the case but we're not we're looking at the longer term picture so that and i think we kind of, get, kind of said it, it was like you know well what does this mean for smith Rowe? does he now slot in at 10, does, does he get transitioned to a central midfielder? You know, does he transition somewhere else? We don't really know. So it, I think it has, there's more questions than I think than a lot of fans are, uh, are, are giving credence to. Um, but again, I think at the end of the day, and this is kind of where I kind of have to leave it before I, I, I talk myself into frustration is I have to trust Edu and Arteta because they've, they've earned that respect now from the fan base. So at the end of the day, we kind of just have to roll with it and, 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 and kind of hope it works. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's also all of these negotiations are always so interesting to me when you do business with a club that is going to air what's going on. Like Leon famously, you know, like he's gonna like your business is going (laughs) to be known uh, Napoli, you know, with De Laurentiis like it's going to be out there. It's going to be in the press. And, And similarly with Shakhtar, it's like this is the sort of stuff that clubs hate to hit you know headlines because it's like these are supposed to be like private negotiations and you're not supposed to have the club president or the ceo go on the club's website and say i have a call with arsenal in five minutes (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out it could be one of those where you know shakhtar just trying to maximize like you said and it could end up still in a pretty similar range in terms of like total dollars and maybe more guaranteed from Arsenal or something like that, but um, maybe less incentives, that sort of thing. But feels like a deal that could still get over the line as long as Arsenal are willing, but it could easily be sank if the, if the fee creeps too high. Um, but it's a long, it's a long month. So still, still plenty of movement possible on the Mudrick front. Um, well, Drew, you've been talking about Bayern a lot, so I figure I'll stick with the Bayern uh, theme. <laughs> I did it to myself. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, obviously, 
Manuel Neuer injured in a freak ski accident uh, <laughs> after the World Cup. So some questions now uh, and, and a question from Eric Bauer as well uh, on Twitter. Who do you think Bayern will ultimately get to fill the Neuer-sized hole in goal? And could this potentially be the end of Neuer's time at Bayern if they ultimately get a ready-made starter who steps in and plays well? Um, handful of options potentially out there, po- especially post-World Cup, but... Who uh who do Byron look to in goal? That's uh with Neuer sideline um, you know, via the Alps. <laughs> First of all, nothing more than he deserved. I can't stand Manuel Neuer, and this is kind of a long standing thing. Uh this goes back Jeez. to yeah, he uh he, Tony Cruz, um uh Thomas Miller, I don't like how they handled the situation with Ms. Ozil uh in the aftermath of the last World Cup when he got uh Quite clearly, um, some some interesting feedbacks from from some fans. I I have yeah. not liked them since then. So that's kind of the the nature of my hatred. I don't wish him ill, but it's kind of hilarious that he decided to go on a ski vacation and decide to break himself. So um, I do alive. think what Bayard will probably do is he'll probably look at Jan Sommer from Gladbach, um, ready made. You know, nose league obviously a phenomenal keeper as well, arguably the best keeper in Bundesliga. So. Uh, and he's going on the free in the summer unless he moves this January. So it makes sense for both clubs. So, you know, Gladbach are going to want something for him. Bayern needs someone that can come in and kind of be at Noria's level. And summer certainly is at Noria's level for me. That makes the most sense. Um, Alexander Nubel's on loan at AS Monaco, but he does not want to come back. Uh, he has he doesn't have a great relationship with the goalkeeping coach at Bayern. So and he said that he won't come back if, if he's still there. So I think that kind of moves off the table. Yeah. Some other options, uh, Dominic Livakovic was was kind of banded around. Uh, he was obviously great uh, for Croatia at the World Cup, you know, arguably the, the best keeper at the, at the tournament uh, for some. But apart from that, it's it's kind of tricky. Uh, top class goalkeepers are, are not uh, not common at the moment. And I think the ones that you would think Bayern want aren't leaving, you know, Man City. They're not leaving Liverpool. Um those kind of things. I don't think, you know, you could make an argument for maybe they'll try to make a play for something like Tristegan from Barca, but I don't think that's going to happen either. He's he's kind of a hit and miss. I don't think he's consistent enough. So I, I do think Summer will be the play. I think it makes the most sense from all things concerned. Um, Livakovic wouldn't surprise me if they did do it, but I would probably say Summer makes the most sense from from everything involved. Um yeah, kind of a simple one. Thankfully, I don't, I don't, I don't have to deal with Bayern conversation too <laughs> for too long. So yeah, I think that makes the most sense. Well, Mika, I mean, that's like a worst case scenario for you being a a, a Gladbach sympathizer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jan Sommer is a stalwart fan favorite at Gladbach. Um, part of that that Swiss contingent that Gladbach always have. I agree with Drew. It does make the most sense given the contract situation. He is, you know, able to move on to free in June. Um, but he did say that he's he's come back from the World Cup and is going to talk to the club, the club being Gladbach, about an extension. And I I don't know. I'm not as confident as everyone else is that Bayern are going to get Sommer. I, I think he... I, I think he values, like, being a bona fide starter at Gladbach because as soon as Neuer's healthy, he's going to come back in like they're gonna ride that till the brakes fall off at Bayern the brakes have already fallen off that's why I got into a ski accident (laughs) fair fair enough and that 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 to me is also like wild like that I'm sure that's forbidden in your contract to do things like that 
So, um, just ridiculous. But I mean, I don't know. For some reason, I feel like Jan Zomer will put pen to paper at Gladbach, but um, I could be completely wrong. It does make sense on paper, and he's a great shot stopper. Um, You know, has an error in him from time to time, a brain fart from time to time, but overall, like, just great. Great for Gladbach, reliable, um, reliable for Switzerland as well. Um, And... I mean, if worse comes to worse, I don't know that they would do this, but I mean, Sven Ulreich is there. Like, people are acting like he doesn't exist, and that's <laughs> what backup keepers are for. Um, he's come in in the past and been fine. So, you know, is fine good enough for Bayern Munich? Obviously not. Um, yeah, I, and I do think that it's really interesting that Alexander Nobel is like, uh, no, it doesn't make sense for me to come back. I, thanks. <laughs> um, and he's really enjoying his time at Monaco, so... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, and and that's the thing about Bayern is everyone knows <laughs> why why this is happening and and you know what they need, and so I think it'll make it just even more difficult for them potentially because you know they're also bound by their own kind of um, limitations and that they're not going to spend outrageously, but that PSG fixture in the Champions League looms large, and it'll be very interesting to see who's who's backstopping them at that. So. Yeah, the the Nurbel situation just is so interesting because and the timing is is kind of funny like in a cosmic way because Bayern had a club option to basically like recall him over the summer with no like he couldn't turn it down. Um but as soon as the summer transfer window closed, that option lapsed and now any recall like would be you know with his consent as well (laughs) and so the fact that they had basically a a built-in option over the summer and didn't exercise it and now a few months later are in desperate need of of top class goalkeeping um well i say desperate like you said all right is is a keeper who's been around the league he's made 250 plus senior appearances in the bundesliga and uh and other competitions but um yeah Livakovic feels like uh feels like the you know if if Byron were to live up to like the FC Hollywood uh name that like Livakovic feels like the move um but in a sort of one-on-one negotiation it feels like Dinamo Zagreb would probably be able to direct that negotiation uh like pretty significantly not to maybe a mudrick extent because I'm sure finance wise they could probably benefit from um you know maybe a little bit lower fee but they could probably extort Bayern a little bit if they knew that it's like hey this is your option and um you're really the only ones negotiating um so yeah, interesting, interesting set of of circumstances. I think Zomer feels like does feel like um, one that they'll try. Um, the other like interesting one is Kevin Trapp, but Trapp is at Eintracht, and I think probably pretty happy playing Champions League football as well. So <laughs> like, not not a ton of um, not a ton of just like obvious options um in terms of in terms of the top class goalkeeping like you said drew so um so yeah we'll see what we'll see what byron does but they've got a they got a handful of things that they'll i'm i'm sure they'll try um we talked about livakovic and um 
now, you know, there are a lot of rumors swirling around other stars at the World Cup potentially moving around. This happens every every four years. Um, but maybe in terms of targets, none maybe more talked about and more connected to more clubs than Enzo Fernandez, uh, you know, now a world champion with Argentina, but 21 years old at Benfica, linked to everybody. Um, but now the, the fees are climbing because he does have a release clause it seems at at Benfica and a pretty a pretty hefty one um and there's only a couple of clubs that are going to be willing to meet that valuation so Mika I mean what do you make of Fernandez's potential to move in January and uh where might where might he end up yeah it's the the release clause that Benfica reportedly have in his contract is 120 million euros so I mean, that, that already puts you in, in a bracket of, like, a handful of clubs, and it looks like the latest to be linked is Chelsea. Um, you know, Todd Bowley's new uh, play thing. <laughs> um, and I could see a guy like him being forced to pay the release clause, I'm sorry to say. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think, is he still the self-appointed sporting director? Like, is that no, still a thing? They, uh, or did he, get, did he no, get the guy from Brighton? They made a hire. Um, okay. I thought they got uh was it Dan Ashworth? Uh who did they just Christopher Vivell? Yeah, from um, uh, from Leicester United. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, okay. I got I got yeah. Newcastle another moneyed club confused. Um <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's I think Bifigo would like they should just stick to their guns and ask for that release clause to be honest I mean World Cup's best young player of the tournament uh, like a world champion just looks like a complete midfielder can do it all passing dribbling defending is all class he can play in that deep role he can go box to box he can score goals he came on and scored against Mexico so um, they, they should hold out for that release clause if they can because he's, you know, and if they don't have to sell in January, much better because they also have a United, uh, you know, UEFA Champions League campaign to, to contend with. Um, but it's it's just crazy uh, how quickly um, um, this highly lauded because my first exposure to him personally was in the 2020 Copa Sudamericana final when he was playing for Defensa Justicia or on Crespo's side and uh, they <laughs> defeated Lanús to win their first continental title and that was his first trophy and now he's a world champion. It's just insane. Um, but... Um, Chelsea, I mean, I also saw that Chelsea are trying to lock N'Golo Conte down to new terms, too. So it's just, I mean, that wage bill, I think, can get out of control quickly at Chelsea um, if if they're not careful. So, um, but I mean, he, he would be excellent, I think, in the Premier League. And um, yeah, I think any club in the world he'd fit at and, and would start at. So, um, yeah, good player for sure. We'll see where, where that goes, but... If someone's paying 120 million for him, holy crap! <laughs> Drew, it feels like another case of like small sample size in the sense that like he's only really been in you know to to Mika's point, it's really only been the last eight to twelve months that he's even really even been in the consciousness of the big clubs and Benfica certainly in a position. Yeah, with the fees that they've received in recent years, um, you know, and even this this past summer for Darwin Nunez, huge fee. So certainly in no position where they need to sell, 
Um, and it looks like Chelsea are probably the club that will, you know, if anyone is going to trigger that clause, it might be Chelsea, but is it enough, you know, is, is it again, just like hype around maybe a small, this small sample size and is it, is he worth the outlay? Um, if Chelsea go and get him. So, well, for a few things. So, Bully will be acting as a sporting director in January. Vivo was signed as technical director. So, hence why I do think Chelsea okay. will probably end up paying that money because I think Bully is just incredibly bored at this point. And he's, <laughs> I think he's just making kind of decisions where the types of players he's going after makes sense, but it's hard to justify the money. And, I, and I'm with Mika. I think Enzo Fernandez is... Yeah, the sample size has been small on him. A lot of people haven't really seen him until this season, you know, with Benfica. He's key for them. He's done well in Champions League, obviously. Obviously, he, had a, he was immense at the World Cup. Um, and he wasn't even expected to be a starter. But he's, he came on, he came in, nailed down that spot after after the first match and kind of never looked back. So I think that that that's to his credit. I like him as a player. But $120 million, like, you're, you're in company of, of very few players that have eclipsed the hundred million, the hundred million bear, and I do think that the, the kind of the recent news about how Chelsea long term want to structure the club, this goes in, in stark contrast of that. They're saying they're bringing in people like Vivil and targeting certain sporting directors because they want to trim the wage bill. They want to go after younger players without massive fees. They want to kind of have a more broader approach, kind of like an RBL. They want to have a global kind of their talents in other countries, that that kind of thing. They want to be more more, more expanded brand. So this this deal kind of is out the window in terms of that kind of structure. But I do think that, that I think they need a lot of midfield help. And I, I think extending Kante, and and I do, I think very few people dislike N'Golo Kante, like to be clear, for for off the pitch, he's, he's a phenomenal human being. But on the pitch, I think he's been probably one of the most consistent midfielders since he first came onto the scene with Leicester after he was at Caen. So, but if you look at the team, you know, Jorginho, I think, is part of the most overrated midfielder in the in the top six. And I will say that confidently, and there's maybe debate to be had. But I do think Fernandez is a needle pusher for Chelsea, both now and in the long term. And I do think he would blend well with Kovacic, who it's interesting because Kovacic, is, he's one of those types that he's struggled at Chelsea to be consistent, right? But you saw how well he plays for Croatia when he's in the midfield with Modric and Brozovic. He's another player. It's another animal. So can Potter kind of get that out of uh, Kovacic with an Enzo Fernandez in that same midfield? Would that maybe help him have more confidence to maybe play the system he truly wants to play instead of kind of pandering to maybe what he thinks he should be doing given the kind of roster he had? And you can certainly say that Fernandez might have some qualities uh, in midfielders that he had at Brighton. And so maybe he's trying to maybe bring that system in where he was so successful with, which a much less talented team, but knew what their identity was on the pitch. And I don't think Chelsea knows what they are on the pitch yet because Potter hasn't had enough time yet. Maybe he doesn't have the players he wants. But I still think 120 million is a lot for, again, a relatively small sample size. And yes, there's a lot of tax involved. First of all, his release clause kind of existed before that. But I don't think Benfica could have really demanded that without the World Cup win. That did a huge you know, kind of bolstering to the fact that they can now say, listen, he just won the World Cup and he was one of the best players at the tournament. You're going to have to pay us $120 million. So Chelsea will probably do it. I'd be shocked if they don't. 
And again, there's not a lot of transformative, younger-ish profiles and midfielders in the world that you can maybe say, if we bring him in now, we'll have him on the books for five, six, seven, however, through the next contract extension, and really kind of build that platform in that kind of way. And if they view Fernandez like that, then that's probably why they're going to end up paying it. Um, but as from, from Bika's standpoint, they'll sell him. You know, They have no issues letting players go for big fees because... For me, they're probably one of the top five academies in the world. And the, the record of selling talent and still being just fine and dandy on the domestic front and still being competitive in Europe, it's it's incredible. You know, 200 million from, from Nunez and Fernandez in the span of six months would be phenomenal in terms of in terms of business. So it, it does keep kind of a, keeps the lights on, so to speak. Um, and it kind of it's proof positive that the kind of the players that develop. So yeah, I think Chelsea will do it. I think Benfica will sell. I think he'll probably be better, faster than people think. And there's maybe only one other younger midfielder in the world currently that I think could have that same impact, and that's Jude Bellingham. And obviously he might end up in the Premier League with Liverpool, depending, maybe Real Madrid, we don't know where he's going to go. But I do think he's only come onto the scene recently, but I do think the hype on Fernandez is actually pretty justified. I think he was actually quite, quite good in the World Cup. Um, And I, I do think Another one to maybe look out for that I'm surprised some of the clubs aren't going for is Alexis McAllister. I think he also was very good at the World Cup and he was playing in an unfamiliar role as kind of like a mobile eight in, in a midfield three where at Brighton, he's usually uh, in the forward line or maybe just behind the striker, depending, <clears throat> you know, under Potter. But he was very, very good. And I think kind of one of those unsung heroes of, of the World Cup win. So I'm kind of surprised that maybe Potter didn't go after him. So I do think because of that fact, I think you're looking at boldly calling the shots and maybe not Potter having kind of that that kind of that, that say so in how he wants to build the team. I think it's a boldly move. I think it wouldn't shock me if Potter would have actually moved for McAllister if he if he kind of had a say. Um how Chelsea will kind of go for things moving forward, I don't know. Um, but it's just this these are kind of the market decisions that frustrate you because it, it's it's becoming ever so clear now that you got to pay through the nose and your ears and other orifices <laughs> to get good get, oh, to get good young talent at, at at a price that maybe you don't want to have to, but such as the Premier League, you know, the money is there habitually when you have Forrest signing twenty six players and then, you know, spending over a hundred million in the first season up for like what was it, twenty years ago. So it's just the nature of it, and we have to come to terms with it. But yeah, he's a very good player, so I think uh, I think it'll probably come off come off good, irrespective of uh, of the fee. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, to the McAllister point, I I chuckled a little bit because I saw a headline uh, that he was being linked with Juve, and I was like, "Can they sign players that, like- <laughs> with what money?" <laughs> I don't think he wants to play in Serie B, so. <laughs> I uh yeah so that was an interesting one for I agreed a, a player who was who was I thought that you know and we we spoke uh me and Mika about the the qualities of McAllister in in the last episode I think but yeah it was just Enzo Enzo for me it's it's so funny because he started the World Cup in uh, like on the bench like he wasn't he wasn't in the starting lineup initially for for uh Scaloni and so the fact that he ended up such a key piece of that Argentina midfield which goes on and wins it um I mean it does speak to his impact and even for being 21 he's he's had this meteoric meteoric rise and I guess it's a case of you know if you're good enough 
you're old enough and and all those things and if you know he's developed enough it'll be interesting to see how how he goes on and does it I think like you said Benfica doing unbelievable business again and we'll get on to another player that's come up through Benfica um that may be may be on his way soon but um the yeah I think the interesting thing and and maybe speaking a little bit to the the Liverpool midfielder angle is I think Enzo Fernandez is probably based on the fact that they'd just done the deal for Darwin Nunez I'd be shocked if like Liverpool scouts weren't just kind of in the stands at Benfica like quite frequently um so I feel like Enzo's probably a player that they thought hey in the summer if we get priced out of Bellingham like this might be the guy um and the World Cup totally changed the market for for Fernandez um where it was like this is a player we could probably wait on give him a year in Portugal see what happens um and the urgency around a player like that and a talent like that following the World Cup win, I think it just totally shifted. And Liverpool, you know, aren't going to do the Gokpo deal and, like, match a £120 million or, you know, Euro release clause in the same in the same window, um, which I think opens up some maybe interesting other options. Maybe they wait for Bellingham in the summer. Maybe they go for someone like Felipe Casado uh as like maybe a cheaper option um in the in the shorter term so be interesting to see um what comes of that but all of these all of these like interconnected you know transfer dealings uh going on um there was a a a signing by Chelsea that has already happened for Benoit Badiashile from uh AS Monaco um signing a center back when they had been heavily linked to another World Cup star, Yasko Gvardiol. And uh, it now looks like Gvardiol may be more likely to head to Real Madrid, but Gvardiol, like, named in every single pundit and talking head, every single person's, like, team of the tournament. He was one of the best center backs there. Uh, a Croatia team that, you know, many thought had no business being in the semifinal, making it, at, you know, a lot chalk it up to him um, or chalk some of it up to him. So Gavardiol, again, it, it, is this deal, you know, it, is Real Madrid the move um, for for a player who already, you know, despite being quite young, it feels like had been, you know, already really highly rated before the world cup and the world cup seemed to just cement him as, as maybe the top young center back in Europe um, available in this window or, or in the summer. I mean, I, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, for Real Madrid. Um, I'm less sure. I mean, it's Real Madrid, so it's going to make sense for any player. They'll, they'll love to be, to be linked with and possibly join Los Blancos. But right now, point in his career I think playing time is so important and I don't see David Alaba or Antonio Rudiger slowing down right now so I just think that if if Gavardio was to go there he'd probably be on the bench um and yeah you know, those two are both getting up there in age not old by any means but you know not young either so there's a there's a pathway but I think he'll want to play week in week out so I, I mean I don't know if Real Madrid would like sign him and then loan him or something like that um but um either way like <laughs> As I said, Enzo Fernandez is a complete midfielder. I think Jasko Guardiola is 
a complete defender. I mean, everything you want in a modern defender, good passer, physical, but agile, reasonably fast over short distances. I mean, he did get put in the spin cycle by Lionel Messi, but I think that's more a rite of passage than anything. (laughs) Um, And he's left-footed, and we know that left-footed center backs, there's like a weird like about them (laughs) um and so i think that that ups his value significantly for some um but yeah outstanding at the world cup for croatia and whoever he joins i think um he will make them better but i just i just don't see if he would see him starting immediately for real madrid and i don't know if that would necessarily be good enough for him but it is real madrid so what do you what do you make of the gavardio links to to madrid drew I mean, first of all, I think just just because they're obviously going after Fernandez, I think spending 120 million on Fernandez potentially and then 100 million on Gavardio was kind of a even too much for Mr. Bowley. And 100 million for a center back is a pretty chunk of change. So I think that is probably the only reason why I think they prioritized. I think they maybe have probably enough defensively about them, plus with part of structure to kind of get away with the defenders they have currently. And and Thiago Silva is defining time and space currently and still performing at the level he is, so that helps. Uh, getting Fernandez in probably help them. Um, in terms of Guardiola, it wouldn't surprise me if um, if uh, Alaba was shifted back to left-back, considering uh, they only have Ferland Mendy as their only left-back currently being deployed there. That gives them a bit of a depth. Mendy on his day is pretty solid, but well, I don't Gavardio, think he's been... Right? Gavardio's hmm? a left back too, so maybe even that, yeah. Yeah, and in, in theory, he could probably play out there if necessary because he does have that pace. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he's he's played there a few times for for Leipzig in, in a pinch, but it wouldn't surprise me if if that's the reason why they're getting him in. Um, just because having just one left back, Mendy has been proven to also be somewhat injury prone as well. So moving Alaba over that way, and then having Gavardio on one of the uh, center back spots along with Rudiger or Militao, I think. You're looking at uh, a pretty decent long-term partnership with Militao and Cardio. Uh, who knows where Rudiger will end up long-term. Not sure it's going to be at Real Madrid forever. Um, so I think it makes sense for them in that term. And also, they've got a lot of success lately uh, bringing in younger players that hit the ground running. Shuameni, Kamavinga, both of them are now pretty much necessities in midfield along with along with Modric. So uh, obviously, New Vinny Jr., Rodrigo is also there. So I do think that they're going to see that kind of defensive signing as one of those signings that becomes like that, that nucleus of, of the team moving forward. They already have maybe three, four or five assets currently in that same age profile that they can build long-term with. And if Vardio is going to be that, that additional center back that they have where they have that long-term partnership there, I think they'll view it in those terms. In that sense, it's probably actually quite good business. I do think that he's good enough. Uh, he's been phenomenal in, in the Bundesliga. Uh, for me, probably one of the best center backs there since he's been um in saxony so i mean and obviously leipzig have no issues again kind of similar with benfica they have no issues with selling up um they'll replace well they always do whether if it's through um salzburg or another vein it depends but you know they'll, they'll be just fine um i do i do think uh, again it's not my money it's not my club so i don't care but i do think 100 million is a lot for a center back a lot mm-hmm. that's a lot yeah. of money so um it's gonna have to be what but the, the question for me now is, is Real going back to almost kind of like that Galacticos kind of mentality, but just doing it with a younger profile? Because, mm. you know, the Galacticos from when we were all in, you know, high school, high school age, it was all prime players, you know, Zidane, you know, Ronaldo, you know, Beckham, whoever. Now they're going after that. A lot of clubs are going after those that younger, you know, players are developing into stars much younger these days, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. 
So I do think they'll just view it in that sense, just hundred million now investment. If it gets them another Champions League win or two over the course of his career, maybe three, multiple La Liga wins, they justify it in that sense. When it comes to that money, it makes sense. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a great move for him. It's a good, it's a great advert for Croatian football as well. Having you know, Modric has been there for however long now. Uh, Gavardio, they had Davor Suka there for quite a while. Um, so yeah, it definitely shows that <laughs> for a nation of what is it, four million people that they're producing some phenomenal talents uh, at, a, at a fairly consistent rate. Oh, that's right. Uh, Kovacic was there as well, wasn't he? So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, good for them. Yeah. Good for him. So I just kind of want to see how he gets on at the next level now, because obviously Real Madrid is you know, the pinnacle of, of the footballing world in terms of uh, what, where you can achieve, even no matter where you come from. So it'll be fun to watch. But yeah, um, good move. Just not great money. <laughs> <laughs> a and, theme tonight i think yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> this and, is absurd yeah the uh in terms of in terms of replacing Gavardiol, it's like you know leipzig already have mohammed Simakan, who yep. you know 22 years old and absolutely ripping it up which you know fre- surprising to absolutely no one young french center back uh <laughs> like <laughs> who's absolute class. Um, so they got him from Strasbourg last year and he's been, he's been solid um, and already, you know, breaking his way into the starting 11, even before Gavardiel's off. So could easily see him stepping into a more starring role alongside Willie Orban in that Leipzig defense. But um, well, we talked about Benfica and we're going to bring it back to Benfica because <laughs> Uh, you know, in terms of breakout stars, uh, the Portuguese giants had a had a, a breakout World Cup themselves. Um, you know, Benfica and Brighton were probably the two best clubs at the World Cup. Um, and uh, Gonzalo Ramos famously hitting a hat trick, uh, you know, against Switzerland in the, you know, replacing Ronaldo game with heavy quotations. <laughs> that was the narrative anyways. Um, but Gonzalo Ramos uh, has been linked with a handful of clubs. One one such club that's been bandied about because of their, I guess, failure, quote unquote, in the Gakpo pursuit is Manchester United. Um, I mean, Ramos, another one where he's kind of, you know, he was not as influential at Benfica until this year with the departure of Darwin Nunez. He's burst on the scene. Um, he's been wonderful for both club and country. Um, but Gonzalo Ramos, I, I don't know. Like, word on the street is Man United is broke. <laughs> <laughs> is that really? Wow. Okay. They'll still spend an insane amount of money, I'm sure. I mean, Gonzalo Ramos, I mean, United, they clearly need a Ronaldo replacement. They need a focal point. And Ramos quite literally replaced people, as you said. So, um, it's it's kind of harkening back to what Drew was talking about earlier about Benfica just churning out these talents and being completely fine. Um, you know when when a star moves on because in the wake of Darwin Nunez, I mean his Gonzalo Ramos' stats for for Benfica have been outrageous. I mean this season, nine goals, one assist in eleven matches. I mean he was already doing well when Darwin was still there, and now just you know taking that spot as his replacement um, with a plump. So. Um, for the player specifically, like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I watch the Portuguese league week in, week out. I certainly don't. But um, from, like, the research that I've done and, and, and watching him and, you know, doing a little bit of Y Scout, like, I'm just – I'm 
curious. I'm I'm not sure truly, but I'm just curious really what his ultimate level is. I, and I don't know that it's necessarily a Manchester United. Um, I think he'll be a very good player and have a very good career, but um, I don't know. Maybe this take will be comical in a few years' time, but I just I'm not sure really what his level um, or what his potential is. Um, but you know, and this because he had a good World Cup, like the the fee can spiral <laughs> out of control, um, and he'll get sold for something that he's not worth. But a little bit and help the attack, and certainly I think was more involved than like a Cristiano Ronaldo. Let's be fair. Um, so yeah, I mean. Manchester United, that link makes sense. Um, and, yeah, I guess we'll just see what happens with that. But he's the one of all the kind of breakout stars that I'm not sure about um, really what, what his quality will look like at its peak. A little bit of a strange one in that, you know, when you look at five five appearances for Portugal, four goals, you think, wow, like unbelievable. But worth, worth <laughs> mentioning, Drew, that three of those happened in – one world cup game um and so maybe maybe not i guess as prolific you know is is this a case of uh well i guess first is this a a move that united are capable of right now and is and then i guess secondly is it is it the right move if they're gonna pay an inflated fee again ramos has 120 million euro release clause I feel like if it's anything we can take away from the football angles that United magically make funds appear from the void out of nowhere. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from. Um, so I'm sure if they really wanted to, they could, but I'm with Mika on this. I, so I look at his, I don't think he had a good world cup. I think he was the beneficiary of Switzerland putting in their worst national team performance in recent memory. They were absolutely horrendous at the back. And I think, Portugal on their day, given the talent that they do have, capitalized correctly. I think a number of other clubs, uh, teams at the World Cup could have actually done the same thing. Um, You know, France probably could have absolutely smoked them in in similar fashion. England, you know, whoever you're talking about. And then he fell off the planet against Morocco, was completely shut down, quiet. Ronaldo came on and replaced him, ironically enough, if you know Ronaldo didn't actually go out and get the goal. But I think that was kind of telling. So for me... Sure. and, And when you look at the way... Morocco defended you see to their credit and that's no disrespect I think I love the way Morocco handled the 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 tournament and I think they deserve a lot of credit for it but the 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 way they were organized uh, off the ball the way they kept shape you see that a lot in Premier League historically so would Ramos really suit going to a club where he's going to see those types of uh, defensive patterns on a almost near weekly basis, unless you're playing against a more expansive team, you know, of the ones we don't really have to mention because we don't know who we're talking about. So I don't really think he'd be worth it at the moment. I, I think if United are smart, they'd, you know, test Brentford's as well for Evan Tony. I mean, I know it's a long shot, but that would make way more sense to me in my head. Permanently proven, uh, he's scoring goals for, for, for Brighton. I mean, for, for Brentford, rather, he'll score goals for United. He already has some sort of understanding on the pitch with Christian Eriksen because Eriksen was at Brentford last season. You know, he's a, he's a more versatile forward. He can kill you in a number of ways. Um, speaking of Juve, there's, no, there's a shot for Dusan Vlavic. Uh, considering we don't know what's going to happen uh, in Turin, it would make sense to maybe test their hand for that. Uh, I think there are other options. I do think United have 
always been a club that sort of almost kind of drinks the Kool-Aid on certain on certain players where they 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 believe hype and then they go and then they buy off hype rather than doing their due diligence. I do think Ten Hag has a bigger say at transfer since he arrived, and you can see that considering he went after Tyrell Malakia, a player that probably doesn't go to United without Ten Hag being there. Uh Lisandro Martinez, obviously. You know, he he continues to watch Frankie de Jong. So I I do think that Ten Hag will have a say. I don't know if Ten, I don't think Gonzalo Ramos is a, as a Ten Hag kind of player. You see the things that he did with uh, Sebastian Haller at Ajax. You know, before he left, and it's unfortunately dealing with illness. You see how he transformed uh, Dusan Tadic for a while as a, as a as a makeshift center forward and the success he had there. I don't look at those player profiles and see a Gonzalo Ramos. I do see a Vlahovic. I do see uh, an Ivan Tony. Th- th- those types. So. It wouldn't shock me if they actually look elsewhere than that. I, I mean, I think it's convenient to link United to Ramos because of, of their history. And I think it's more more press noise and actual truth behind it. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me if they went out for like a loan deal for their pie. It wouldn't surprise me if they went for a Jean Felix loan. Same thing, like something like that. Um, where they're looking at a, a bigger profile name. I think Ramos will probably need another year uh in portugal it wouldn't shock me if he got like a big move you know just before euro 2024 just after euro 2024 given um how he does there and how he develops you know in portugal for another year that would be my 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 guess um i just can't look at him right now and say that he unquestionably would be a guy or you know a kid really to go to united and and kind of shake the earth and and goals just start flowing I, i don't see it personally um so yeah, I, I just think that they're smarter moves. If I'm United, I wouldn't do it. But for, as an anti-United fan, if they do do it and it spectacularly explodes in their face, I'd absolutely love it. So <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, there's been a handful of other names they've been linked with, but the loans, uh, the loan deals, like seem the more likely uh, for yeah. the January window for United. Um, but they, yeah, the Depay move is has some some legs potentially. Apparently, they had some talks with Bayern Munich about uh, Chupa Moting, but I'd be shocked if no. he goes anywhere based on the form he's in uh, yeah. for Bayern. Um, he only has six left, months left on his contract, so he may leave for free in the summer. But it, in terms of moving in January, I don't really see it. And then. They had apparently last summer talked about Murata and uh, Aubameyang, but Aubameyang obviously ended up at Chelsea. Murata, um, they they weren't um, willing to pay the the quoted fee of like thirty five million. Um, I've also seen Mitrovic thrown around, mm. but Fulham just inked him to a twenty twenty six a deal through twenty twenty six. So I I highly doubt um that they would uh that they would go for him and then tony obviously has that like gigantic asterisk over him every time that <laughs> he betting. plays of like he, is yeah. he about to like never play football again um it, well so, he, i mean he yeah. did play he did play on boxing day and scored so yeah. in theory i would assume if he was in danger of not playing for the future thomas frank is astute enough to yeah. to maybe not put him in the firing line so to speak yeah. But it's a fair question. You know, you never know how it's going to be dealt with. Six months from now, the FA could be like, you know what? Just kidding. We're we're going to suspend you for life. Or you know, who knows what the FA are going to do? <laughs> historically, just you know, thinking about that out of the box on, on the spot. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I uh, 
I had been thinking because yeah, the last significant uh, gambling scandal, uh, or not the last one, but the one that I was that I was most closely exposed to was when Daniel Sturridge he ended up serving like a four month ban, yeah, um, over betting, and so. Yeah, but was it 260 plus instances of that's the and thing? That's like. the thing is like it wasn't as bad as yeah. what's being like thrown around about Tony. And certainly yeah. it's it's you know far more severe than the uh Kieran Trippier uh you know lump lump on or whatever whatever the text message. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what United do. But the the word on the street is basically like the Anthony deal had like a significant impact on the cash uh, that United have to spend on transfers. Although, obviously, with the club for sale, it's funny. I was going to mention during the Liverpool portion that it feels like the purse strings have loosened ever since FSG <laughs> said mm. like, hey, the club's up for sale because I think they know they're about to come into a significant amount of money. Um, Whereas the Glazers, it feels like it's actually gone the opposite where it's like, they're not willing to like exercise this, whatever debt facility, or as Barcelona would put it, pull the levers, um, (laughs) like to create money. Every possible lever. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I mean, David Ordenstein said earlier today, he said that, uh, all reports are saying that United don't want to spend a lot in January because of they're, they're trying to sell in the first quarter of 2023, which means any massive outlay in January would kind of be detrimental. Sure. So I look at the I look at the loan market. I do. I think like a Joao Felix loan makes the most sense. It's supposed to be something like uh, an eight million pound loan fee plus his wages. So you're looking at maybe like what's like 13 or 14 million total or something like that. I, I forget. Yeah. Um, which is far more affordable and only temporary. You know, there's no obligation or option to buy if from Atleti. So it would just be get us to where we want to be in the season. You know, thanks for your services. We'll take it from here, kind of thing. That might suit them best. And I do think he's got a profile that suits Ten Hag. Yeah. Um, I do think he can actually push the needle for them enough to maybe get them back in the top four place. Not that I want them to be there, but yeah, I think he is that gifted. So um, that makes the most sense for them. I, I think some astronomical fee let's be real 100 million for Anthony also just like come on like what are you doing so I kind of feel like maybe don't make that same mistake in January over yet another player so yeah, yeah. well um, I think that about brings it to the end Drew I, I did want to thank you again for for joining us and uh, if you want to let the good people who, who may not know exactly where to find you uh, if you want to let them know or plug anything you've got you've got out there right now uh, yeah I mean you can find me on Twitter uh, at Mixed Kid Remix it's probably my, my 16th handle since I joined Twitter <laughs> I often change it but I think I'll probably stick with this one for a while um, and yeah, I'm one of the one of the main writers at uh, 101 Great Goals, which you can just look at 101GreatGoals.com. Uh, and yeah, we just did um, a, a ton of World Cup coverage. Uh, and then on the day to day, I typically do a lot of like editorial stuff based on, you know, we do a lot of scouting, um, a lot of editorial stuff, like long form pieces. I'm trying to start doing more uh, in depth looks into into fan base culture, into youth development culture, and kind of bring more things to light given the amount that I travel. Um, I spent all summer in Sweden uh, and I got to sit down with um, uh, IFK Yotobori fans for a while and, and chat with them and kind of understand more of the culture of the city and how the club ties into that. So that kind of spread my interest about looking into 
the more kind of maybe far-flung clubs that people don't really pay attention to and kind of bring those back to the fore because Yotobor used to win European Cups in the 80s, so, but people don't really know that. So kind of having a, a broader understanding of uh, football history to me is like a, a big thing I'm trying to do for work moving forward. So yeah, I'll look out for some of those and I'll always tweet them out when, whenever they go live. So, But I just want to say thank you for having me on for sure. It's been great. Uh, probably one of the best football chats I've had in, in quite some time, so I really appreciate it. Hey. And I normally don't get along with Liverpool fans, so Philly did a good job. <laughs> Thanks. I uh, I try to keep it try to keep it pretty even keeled. Uh, yeah. But yeah. the uh, this this is a bit of a a bit of a like offshoot question. But in your travels in Sweden, did you happen to come yeah. across a club called GIF Sundsvall? Yeah, uh, I know GIF Sundsvall. Yeah, what so, about them? So their uh, their manager. <laughs> At the end of last season, Brian Clearout uh, just uh, signed on as the manager of our like local team, El Paso Locomotive. Uh, Did he really? In the USL. So we've huh. been watching an outsized amount of Sundsvall <laughs> footage Sunsvall, yeah. <laughs> to try to to try to get the the scouting report. Obviously, not not a maybe a little bit of a a case of getting promoted uh, being too big of an ask for a club um and and maybe just being like way outgunned uh in the in the top division but um but yeah so we've been doing quite a bit of scouting of of Sunsvall and I was curious <laughs> if you'd come across them at any point no not a time I know the club but I don't know a ton of like his managerial record um I do know that they historically are quite good with youth development I don't know what that will mean for your local USL side um, but you'll be in good hands in terms of if you have any decent young talent at the club, he'll guide them pretty well. So at least it'll be that. Um, that's, a, that's such a weird like connector. <laughs> of all, I still can't can't quite get over that. But um, but yeah. But thanks again for having me. It's been a blast. Um, hope to come back sometime in 2023. Of course. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. Thank thanks you so again. much. Of course. For, for giving us your time. It was it was awesome to have you on. And yeah. Thank you for sure. Good times. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Jerry transfer window. We kind of to do this like kind of early, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's not gonna, you know, <laughs> like maybe lose more hair. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, cool, yeah. Man. Well, well. Thanks again to Drew uh, Thompson for joining us tonight. Um, like you said, a good chat. And if you've enjoyed the chat, um, go ahead and uh, subscribe, follow whatever the podcast on your favorite platform. So it goes straight to your device of choice uh, when we drop the new episodes and uh, follow us on Twitter at HXC football uh, and also on Instagram. Um, and uh, if you're so inclined, I also dropped a piece on Wilfred Nianto uh, leads mercurial little wonder kid. Phenomenal uh, talent who, Yeah. Yeah. One of those one of those players uh Drew who, you know, feels like they took the step um like a little early and I guess by design because Leeds literally moved the transfer up 6 months um because they desperately needed attacking help. Um but one of those where it's like, you know, typically a player goes, "Ah, Swiss Super League, they're going to go to, you know, Germany or France and then they go to the Premier League." He he makes the jump straight in and uh, and does not look out of place at all in in the Premier League um, and looks to be taking Jack Harrison's spot. 
<laughs> so yeah he's yeah. uh i know we're trying to we're trying to wrap up but uh he's been very good and he's been uh in in and around the uh the italian national team picture justifiably he he is very good and uh actually my uh my uh editor-in-chief at work is leeds born and i'm a huge leeds fan so we always joke in WhatsApp chat is how long until Nanto leaves for a bigger club? He's like, please don't mention it to me because he's been transformative for them along with Somerville. They both have yeah. been massive bright spots. So something more to look out for, uh, for him, for sure. I think he'll be, he'll be in the Italian team picture uh, for a year, for the year, should they qualify? Uh, he's, he's a good talent. So, yeah. Very, very cool. So yeah, you can, uh, find that piece, uh, on my Twitter at Phil talks footy or on, at HXC football, but, uh, yeah. Uh, again, Drew, thanks so much. And, uh, yeah, until, uh, until 2023, um, I hope everyone has a, a good new year and, uh, we'll come back and, and talk how, about how some of these transfers shake out. But until then, uh, everybody be well and, uh, we'll talk soon. <laughs>